I'm sure that you have heard the stories or the testimonies before. When someone is praying for God to direct them, to lead them, to give them a sign in their life. And then, maybe like our children's sermon, the phone does ring. And God seems to have called. That dream job is offered. Or the person on the other line says, God told me to tell you, yes, or no. Whatever it is that person needed to hear it from God. And maybe I sound a bit cynical, but a few years back, I did have this happen to me. Wasn't too happy about it, but it happened to me. While I was in Rwanda with Father Jay, Natasha was back home here. And she wasn't too excited about me going to Rwanda again without her. She wanted to be there too. And she was worried that if I kept traveling there, that one day I would come back and say, Natasha, let's move to Rwanda. That's not actually what happened. Instead, I came back to Highwood, and she said, Ethan, I applied for a job. I was like, oh, okay, where did you apply? Like, where is it? She goes, in Kigali. I was shocked, amused, excited, maybe a little impressed too. But I also really didn't think that it was the right time to move. I was on the vestry here. We're in the middle of a building process. I was not thinking that we should move yet. But then the phone rang unexpectedly, and I was offered a job. It turns out it wasn't the best job in the end. But still, God had orchestrated the messy circumstances, and now I'm here. Or, I guess, I'm there in Rwanda. So we moved to Rwanda in 2017. We were sent as missionaries from here, Church of the Redeemer. And after a year in Rwanda, where both of us served in education, conversations about my potential ordination reignited. Father Jay's visit and communication with Archbishop Banda might have had a factor in that. And I was ordained a deacon in 2018 and then a priest last November. In that time, I also began leading the English service at Holy Trinity Cathedral. That was last spring. And all of these big changes in my life could be described as moments of God's calling, his call on my life. And I think that many missionaries, they might be excited by the passages that the lectionary gave us today that all focus on call, God's calling. Even the collect for today begins by saying, Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation. This is a missionary's area of expertise, right? Especially a missionary priest. Who better to speak about calling? But perhaps, like, maybe like some of you, I can struggle with the word calling. Or more precisely, I struggle with the language of calling but not the reality of it. Our calling to Rwanda has been made evident, even as there have been difficult circumstances, or even if there's uncertainty about how long we will be there. My call to ordain ministry has been affirmed by others in community, and, in God's, and God's leading hand has been evident. The Holy Spirit was near in the process, even when the transition to full-time ministry seemed very daunting. Calling it can be over-spiritualized. 
when we wait for God to say something, when in reality, he's already been saying it. He's given clear direction through circumstances, through other people, through wisdom. He's given us the ability to discern. And God's call can also be written off as though it were only something that happened to a few people in the Bible. Maybe we've all become a little cynical of that. And we can assume that it's just our own hindsight bias or it's our own wishful thinking that just simply affirms whatever we wanted to do if we say God called. It's not an easy topic, but it's one that we are confronted with in our readings today. In the Gospel of Mark, we read about Jesus' start to his public ministry. And he begins by calling people, by forming community, calling people to himself. It's a whole new thing that's happening. And it's also exactly what God has been doing from the beginning, drawing people to himself, creating a people for himself. The time had come. John the Baptist had been put in prison. The time was ripe. Jesus realized it was time to go. The preparation period, that time of preparing the way, that had ended, and Jesus was led forward, living into his own call. He calls Simon and Andrew, then James and John, follow me, he says. I will tell you, I will send you out to fish for people, or I'll make you fishers of men, as we might remember it. They seem to drop everything, and they go. Zebedee, the father of James and John, might have wondered what is going on. Why were his boys leaving? Who were they following? The to-be disciples might have had an idea, or maybe they didn't. But they heard Jesus' voice, and they responded. So that's what we're seeing in our gospel reading today. And then in the Old Testament, we have a very nice portrayal of Jonah. We read about him finally arriving in Nineveh and half-heartedly relaying God's message. If you read the whole story, you'll remember it wasn't this tidy. But it's true, this fish-belly-smelling, disobedient man, called to be a prophet, does finally obey to a point, and he relays God's message to the Ninevites, partially. Actually, Jonah's announcement in Nineveh might be the worst sermon recording in history, in Scripture. He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all we knew that he said. He went partway into the city, not even all the way. He forgets about telling the part to repent. But yet, this massive city, full of Israel's enemies, Assyrian Gentiles, foreigners, sinners, these people respond to that call and they repent in dramatic fashion. With sackcloth and fasting, even the animals joined in. Nineveh responds, and so does Jonah. Neither do so perfectly, or even for the long haul. But we see the upside today. We see what they did do in their response. In these two passages, we can see some overlapping, but they're also very different pictures of God's call. In both narratives, God calls his people and they respond. For Jonah, the answer is a big mess. First, full of disobedience, and then partial obedience. For the disciples of Jesus, the call is answered readily. They hear the voice and they go. But, as we read in the rest of the gospel accounts, 
we know that the disciples' journey in answering their call was still very messy. We refer to these people as saints sometimes, but their lives and their, their following of Jesus was full of misunderstanding, confusion, questioning, even lack of faith. As I've been praying and processing, preparing for this sermon, and in my life for the past several years, I've come to see more and more that God's call is a process. Yes, it is a moment, too. There's a call and response, but the journey is a process. Saying yes is a radical decision, and we need that immediacy, that urgency, boldness, decisiveness. And we need to know that God's purposes will be fulfilled through us, but that's even if we're stumbling along. Yesterday, right here, our daughter Briar was baptized, and it was a wonderful day. But in the morning, a few hours before the service, it was a mess. Briar didn't take her nap. She woke up with a big scratch on her face. Awesome for photos. And we were running out the door trying to get here on time. I saw Amanda, and I said, I'm so thankful that baptism is something that God is doing, not something about what we are doing, our own work. So we respond to what God is doing But the answer to our calling can be messy. It's a process. The process involves God's initiative and our response, inadequate as it may be. And we rely on him to take our humble offerings, which should stretch us, but to take those offerings and transform those into his purposes. Various scholars have noted that in Jesus' day and context, the typical custom between teacher-student relationships began by the potential student coming to the rabbi and asking to study with them. The rabbi might then respond by saying, follow me, which would mean come live with me, join the community, and learn with us. But notice the, the difference in what Jesus did here. It isn't the student asking to follow the rabbi. It's the opposite. Jesus is calling these people to follow him. He is coming as the Lord and King. He takes the initiative, announcing that the kingdom is near. Whether it's our initial response to Christ, whether it's a change in career, or our movement to sacrifice and serve others in our community, our response to those in need, our desire to fight for justice, in whatever way God is calling, our work, our lives, is a response to his initiative first, whether we realize it or not. And when we do realize what God is doing, when we see his work and we discern his movement, that will make a difference. Realizing what God is doing is part of the process, and we enter into that that journey, joining with his redemptive work. And that was the process for the disciples that Jesus called. They walked with Jesus and saw what his kingdom looked like. Then they didn't waste time. They lived out what he commanded. Answering the call of God might seem vague at times. But over the past few weeks, in this season of epiphany, in all that is happening in the world, in the U.S., I believe that God has and does continue to reveal himself. He's revealed and called things forward in us, as Deacon Amanda preached on last week. 
And I believe that as we walk together in this process of seeing God's call revealed, we also must realize that our response must have a specific style. So a specific style, a Christian style. I tried to come up with a better word, but it's what stuck with me all week long. I try to be a stylish guy. I try my best. But what do I mean by this? Our Christian style. Well, we travel in a certain way. We live out our calling, calling in work, in our families, in the world with a characterization of love, surrender, and urgency too. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he sounds very extreme, a little crazy, saying that the time is short and the present world is about to change, echoing Jesus' words that the kingdom is near, the time has come. And Paul then tells us to act as if we aren't married or that we shouldn't mourn even when there's grief or that happiness really shouldn't impact us. Now, in the context of the whole letter, we realize this is an extreme and this is, there's rhetoric in this. We know that he would not to take it completely literally because he spent most of that same chapter before just trying to describe how we should live as single people or married people. So obviously that matters. But what is clear is that we must have a singleness of calling, which is that in whatever we do, we do in light of God's kingdom, his new creation that we are called to be part of, to represent, to be, to do, to be as the church. Theologian Joy Moore worded it by saying that we are called to form a community with whom the presence of God is so evident that the promise of God's peace, love, and joy is glimpsed even amidst the chaos. When we try to answer God's call without this style, this specific style, God's presence will not be evident and or we will just be miserable. It's not in our reading today, but again, remember Jonah's story after his really bad sermon, and after the Ninevites repented, Jonah was still waiting for God to destroy them. He was mad that God lived up to his reputation, one of showing love, one of showing mercy. Yeah, Jonah answered God's call to a point, and God walked walked with him through his whole mess, and he still used him for his purposes, because that is what God can do. But Jonah was miserable, and he failed to be a true representation, representative of God's character. I know that in my journey, answering God's call on my life might be messy. It might include stubbornness, rebellion, selfishness, the list can go on. But my prayer is that in the journey, I'll be formed to love well to be with others where we are creating a space of peace and joy together. That is what we are called to do. And it isn't a vague call. It is specific. Jesus called Simon and Andrew to become fishers of people. I think if he were talking to farmers, he might use a different metaphor. He might have said, become sowers of kingdom seeds. Or if they were talking to carpenters, Maybe he would say, 
be builders of the kingdom. If he was talking to marketers, maybe he would say, be a genuine and enticing sample of God's presence. In our world today, we are called to show empathy and kindness and disagreement. We call for repentance and we shine a joyful light into shadowy corners. We see needs in our community. We need to be looking for these needs. And then we respond. And we respond in a way that is wise, but in risky generosity. Our calling to Rwanda, or my call to pastoral ministry, might be distinct, but it's not unrelatable to the call that we all have, whether specific or general. It's the call of Christ. Jesus saying, change, embrace this newness of justice and peace that I offer. Turn around and take a hold of something better than you have right now. The kingdom is near. It's among us, in Kigali, in Highwood, at the table, at our work. It is characterized by love. It has a unique style. It's a style of unity, of love, of joy, peace, a style that responds to what God has revealed and risks becoming a mess in the process, but it's for the sake of others. It's for the sake of our whole world. As we hear God talking about call or the words of call in our passages, he is initiating, he is revealing things, and we do respond. We do that together in a specific way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.